Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Level up, human. The comedy science podcast. Souping up the Homo sapien. Welcome to Level Up Human. Hello, 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 and welcome to Level Up Human, the comedy science podcast panel show. Souping up the human sap, the human sapien. I just said that, didn't I? We're changing our species. We've come and joined experts who are going to tell us exactly how they would redesign the human body. We're joined on my left by our pet human and resident judge, Rachel Wheely. And also by two experts seated on my immediate right, we have Kim Jonas. Hello. Kim is a lecturer in reproductive physiology at King's College London.、Um, I know you've also done a little bit of reproductive physiology at the RVC, the Royal Veterinary College. What can we learn from looking at animals about ourselves? Good question.、Uh, so a lot of、uh, we can we can get a lot actually from animals.、Uh, a lot of、uh, the biology, particularly for the monoovulatory species, from a female perspective, is really comparative to humans. So if we think about sheep and cows,、uh, they're actually really good models for for studying female reproduction. It doesn't sound very complimentary, to be honest, <laughs> does it? <laughs> What is out of interest? Because、like, you've done stuff at the RVC, what is the weirdest reproductive physiology you've come across?、Uh, so dogs have a bone in their penis. They're one of the only species that do. Don't we? No, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I thought that lots of species had bones in their penises, and we were one of the few that didn't. So the, I actually think you're correct. I the Aussie penis. One of the weirdest things that I did see while I was at the Royal Vet College was. Was actually one of the lecturers that had a dog penis bone as a key ring to actually、uh, <laughs> get、wow. into their office. Yeah, he, he was very hard up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was a she. Be- before, <laughs> of course, it was. Well, the, Amazing. I should point out, I've actually done something similar because、uh, the walrus penis bone is one of the bigger ones.、Um, I'm aware of a person who's used it as a kind of pointer at the blackboard before. <laughs> Biology professors have got way too much time.、Um, much that、so. other voice you heard there was Michael Preedy. <laughs> Michael, you are just about to complete your PhD at Queen Mary University. So、yes. the real question is, should you not be working? <laughs> <laughs> I probably should, and it's not helped by the fact that my lab is only five minutes down the road, and. I wish I could say that I came straight from the lab, but I was also in the pub about an hour ago with some friends. So I should definitely have been working instead.、Uh, the things they say about students.、Yeah. Eh? Well, you're、uh, you're working on cardiovascular pharmacology, and、yes. on your bio you had the question that you're you're trying to look into is how to mend a broken heart, and then his answer to this question was with drugs. <laughs> Can you please tell us a little bit more? Um, yeah, well, as a pharmacologist, I believe that everything can be fixed by taking a pill or some kind of medication. And so, yeah, the age-old question of how can you mend a broken heart、um, is what I'm trying to work on. But specifically, I work on a type of heart disease called heart failure. So、uh, this is where your heart slowly stops working as well as it should. And I work on a particular molecule called nitric oxide,、uh, trying to understand what role that plays in heart failure and whether targeting it can be beneficial in heart failure. 
Nit- is nitric oxide, that's not the laughing gas one, is it? No, that's nitrous oxide. Okay. Very similar. Well, it's an extra nitrogen in nitrous oxide, but nitric oxide is just NO. So one, a- one atom of nitrogen, one atom of oxygen. But it's very, very important in the cardiovascular system. We're also joined by our wonderful live audience here at the Barbican Centre in London. Please give everyone a warm welcome. Hey. So these people will be making suggestions for how to redesign the human body. But before we get into that, we'd like to see what's happening right now. So each of the panel have brought along a new story to tell us what is the cutting edge of science at this very moment. Can we please start with you, Kim? What new story have you brought along with you? We can. So uh, I saw quite an interesting story on uh, something called hypersexual disorder. Uh, and this is a disorder that, af- uh, that causes people to be very, very, uh, I suppose, oversexed, if you like. Uh, so it's, it's more than just kind of, se- it's not really sexual addiction. It's, it's kind of extra kind of reward and gratification through sexual behavior. So through kind of, uh, it causes people to kind of chronically masturbate or have kind of ex- uh, sexual fantasies all the time uh, and, and kind of pursue uh, sex kind of either casually or in a relationship but be but, but really obsessed with sex because of the, the type of gratification that they get with it. It's more than just uh, kind of the, the, the gratification that the general population would get. It's, it's deeper than that. It's, it's a, a real sense of, of kind of uh, being able to uh, I suppose, fulfill their kind of need for arousal uh, and release. So the new story about it is uh, it's been unknown kind of uh, what the cause of, of hypersexual disorder is. And this study uh, has, has found this uh, particular modification in a molecule called a microRNA. And microRNAs are, are kind of these special kinds of uh, molecules that modify kind of uh, whether genes are made or not made and kind of the level that they're made at. And in, pa- in people with hypersexual disorder, they've found that this particular microRNA, its expression is lower than it would be in the general population. And what that does, this particular microRNA, is it actually causes, uh, it dampens the release of a hormone called oxytocin. Hmm. Now, oxytocin you might have heard of because it's, that, it's known as the love hormone. And it's the hormone that when you're falling in love or, or kind of you first kind of, uh, when you have a, a, your, your baby and you, you kind of look at your baby for the first time, it's that, that kind of, it's release and it's, it's what causes you to love, uh, essentially. And so in people with hypersexual uh, disorder, Oxytocin is actually kind of hypothesized to be higher because this microRNA that regulates it is low uh, in, these, in this kind of population of people. Uh, that must be a very distressing thing to have if you feel like you're falling in love all the time. <laughs> It's not necessarily about falling in love. Uh, the, the centers in your brain that are activated are all about kind of reward. Uh, and so it's this feeling of kind of reward that you're getting through sexual behavior, through, through sexual gratification. So how, do you, how is it diagnosed? Because like, what point is the point at which you think, mm, I think maybe I've fallen in love with too many of these people I've walked past yes, today? Yes. What, what you're basically pointing out is sex is great. So what point is it too but good? But it's more than great. It's an obsession with sex. You can't it just sounds like men, though, generally. <laughs> it? it's, it's, it's thought to affect more men than women, unsurprisingly, perhaps. Uh, but it's, it's an obsession with sex uh, and this, this kind of inherent need. It's, it's not classified as a, an addiction as such, but it is an obsession with sex that, that takes over your life. Uh, so it's more than just kind of having a high libido, shall we say. So if we think we, if this news is that they think they find the cause, yeah. do they also think they find the cure? Uh, so I, I'm sure that there are, are people that are looking into that at the moment. Uh, I think the disease needs to be kind of better classified because one of the one of the problems actually is diagnosis and classification of it. Uh, but actually, it's where our uh, our friend over here <laughs> can potentially kind of be designing some drugs that target kind of oxyt- uh, oxytocin production you see, and the release. People, the people at home don't know that you gestured to Michael. It could have just oh, been you're the local dealer. <laughs> Do you not? I thought she was about to use me as an example. I panicked there. That's that's where I thought she was going. What you you mentioned there is probably actually one of the problems, because as you said, is that just men? And that's not true, obviously. But that kind of stereotype might be the kind of thing that means that these people go undiagnosed, because they believe, dear, help them. Absolutely. Okay. 
Michael, what is your news story? What have you brought with us? So, um, a couple of months ago, a Japanese lady uh, had a transplant of some stem cells to treat an eye condition. This was done in Japan, um, and it was the first time this therapy had been tried. Um, and she actually had a disease of the eye where the stem cells that are resident in your eye and these were no longer reproducing, these were no longer making copies. So she had this particular eye disease where her vision was becoming blurry, her eye was degenerating. And the scientists in Japan, for the first time, were able to um, transplant some stem cells that had been grown in a lab onto her eye, which then eventually have grown into cells of the eye to repopulate the ones that were lost originally. And these, are, these were made from something called IPSCs, which are induced pluripotent stem cells. So scientists in Japan, and the Japanese are the leaders on this, they're able to take cells from a patient's body, so it can be a skin cell, they grow them up in a dish, they treat them with a cocktail of different factors that programs them into stem cells, and then they can make these cells become any cell in the body. And in this case, they made them become cells of the eye to try and treat the disorder. So they know how to get them to become certain types of cells in the lab before they get put into the body. Yeah, so in fact, it was, um, I think it was in 2012 that the Nobel Prize was awarded for this. So the discovery that you could take a normal body cell, because everything starts out as stem cells. Everything begins as a stem cell. These are the cells that can become any type of cell in your body. So whether it's bone, heart cells, liver cells, you name it. But what we can do now is we can take a cell, reprogram it, so it goes back to its base level of being a stem cell, and then you can turn it into a different type of cell. Wow. It's very cool. Hmm. Excellent. And finally, Rachel, you've and got a lot of use finally, story too. Um, when you have a sprain, what do you do? Limp. I don't know. Is this a setup? I well, don't know, Rachel. I, what I'm, do you I'm do just when you posing this as a question. What would you do if I suddenly like twisted my ankle and fell down? What would you do? I'd say it's your own fault, mate. <laughs> the kind of kind of care that I get from my co-host <laughs> here. What would anybody else do, just out of interest? Rest, elevation. Yes, anything else? Ice. Right, heat. now, yep. why would you put ice on it? Uh, Take well, the swelling down. Exactly. Why do you want to keep the swelling down? To reduce inflammation. Why do you want to reduce inflammation? <laughs> to uh, enhance tissue repair. So there's an idea that inflammation is, is bad for repair to the body. So yes. we need to get rid of it to allow the body to repair itself. Well, that's apparently incorrect. Um, so there's been some uh, research just done which says that inflammation actually is very good for repairing your body and we should encourage the inflammation and we shouldn't put ice on it uh, because that actually slows down the repair even though it helps with numbing the pain through cold. Yeah, because with the inflammation, you just get the flood of the immune cells that try to, do, try to initiate the repair. That's right? exactly so what it does. come in to try and... There's a, a growth factor hormone. Is that a thing? Yep. Yeah. Growth yeah. factor hormone, yeah. um, which is released uh, through the inflammation, and that's what helps start repair the body. Okay. You see, all these kinds of bits of science to me always sound a bit like Tory budget cuts. <laughs> it sounds just like another thing of, oh, you're ill. I'll be fine. You'll be right. <laughs> the more we know, the more we, we realize that actually everyone should just be left to die <laughs> when there's something wrong with them. Just leave them. Yeah. New government policy, you heard it here first. <laughs> well, great. That's the kind of stuff that is happening right now. That is in science at this very minute. But we're going to get hypothetical. We're about to hear from our experts how they would change the human body, how they would redesign our species. Let's start with you, Michael. What change would you make to the human? Give so, us your pitch. Oh, before that, though, let's get to know Rachel so you can see who is going to be judging you. As our resident judge and pet human, Rachel... Uh, what have you been doing with your body lately? Yeah, I just want to warn the panellists and all the audience that my methodology is, is, is all over the place, frankly. There's no way you can get around. You can't learn how to win this game. You just have to make your pitch and hope that I'm in a good mood. Um, because I, I change what I like every week, so I'm sorry about that. Um, I've been thinking about getting into biohacking lately. Uh, but then I watched some YouTube videos about it and all I could see was like the people who have had um, implants, they love to sort of wiggle them on the camera, just like show you them moving around inside their bodies. And it's deeply unpleasant to watch. It makes me very, very squeamish. I want chips under my skin in a completely different way from these people, it turns out. So we... With fish. 
Exactly, <laughs> and a bit of tartar sauce and some peas. That's the only. That's that's all I'm interested in. I don't want to have a chip implanted into my skin using a massive needle. Thanks very much. Um, and there's another guy who's like had a kind of uh, like a a big circuit board kind of like stabbed into his chest so he can sense where north is. Cool. It's terrifying. <laughs> really. Would you genuinely not just... is... Does, does he know there are compasses on the iPhone? I mean, it's like... <laughs> well, he thinks that the problem is that everyone's on their phone like, yeah, but have you ever used one of those things where, yes, you have a compass, but you can't tell whether you're holding your phone at the right angle yeah, yeah. or whether you are actually facing... I've walked confidently the completely the wrong direction for 10 to 15 minutes on the basis of my iPhone telling me which direction to go in because I don't know where the hell I am. Um, so maybe it's a good idea after all. I should point out, by the way, I've got plenty of bits that wibble anyway without having a chip in me. So, we've met Rachel. This is who you're trying to impress. She is our judge and prototype going forward. Michael, what's your pitch? Try and impress her. So, uh, the title of my pitch is called Lightning Breathing, and this might take a little bit to explain, but I mentioned that I work on a molecule called nitric oxide. Uh, now, nitric oxide is a gas, and if most people have heard of it, it's probably because they know it as an air pollutant. So, um, it's, it's a byproduct of combustion, basically. So, whether it's petrol in engines or if you're burning coal to heat your homes or anything like that, nitric oxide is, is, is a byproduct and it contributes to pollution and ultimately to global warming. But uh, what we also know now is that nitric oxide is also made by your body. So about 21 years ago, the Nobel Prize was awarded for the discovery of nitric oxide as a, as a signaling molecule. And it signals in loads of different systems in the body, but it's actually particularly important in the cardiovascular system, so for your heart and your blood vessels. So it does things like, to, um, to answer your question earlier, Rachel, it helps your heart beat. Uh, correctly, so it helps to slow down your heartbeat if it's going too fast. It helps it to contract with the right amount of force. Uh, it also dilates your blood vessels, so if you have particularly high blood pressure, it can cause your blood vessels to dilate and lower your blood pressure. So it tries to keep everything ticking over and, and, and staying healthy in your cardiovascular system. Mm. The problem is, it is in loads of different types of cardiovascular diseases, and cardiovascular disease is the biggest killer on the planet. Um, nitric oxide becomes downregulated. So in things like um, a heart attack or hypertension, which is high blood pressure, or heart failure, which is what I work on, um, nitric oxide either isn't made enough or its effects don't filter through because it gets downregulated. Anyway, where I'm going with this is it was discovered a few years ago that during lightning strikes, um, nitrogen can be made from the atmosphere because most of the atmosphere is nitrogen. Even though we breathe in oxygen, about 78% of the atmosphere is nitrogen. But nitrogen is an incredibly unreactive gas. Like it, it doesn't react with anything. It's very, very stable. But during lightning strikes, the energy enough from the lightning provides enough energy to force a molecule of oxygen together with a molecule of nitrogen. And so you get nitric oxide. Right. And that's generated in the atmosphere. So my idea to level up humans would be to have this exact same mechanism functioning within your lungs. So instead of just exhaling all the nitrogen that we breathe in, because every time we take a breath, we extract the oxygen from the air in our blood, but the nitrogen just gets breathed out again. It's not, nothing's happening to it. But if you were able to fix nitrogen in your lungs using lightning to make nitric oxide, you'd have an infinite supply of nitric oxide that could protect your heart and blood vessels from cardiovascular disease. Okay, I can, I can notice one slight problem with this is that you're suggesting we have lightning in our lungs. Yes. <laughs> okay, no, first of all, that, that, that's incredibly interesting because as you pointed out, um, fixing to the, what we call the organic form of nitrogen is a very rare thing in nature, yeah. uh, which is also one of the reasons why, thanks to the Haber-Bosch process, which allowed us to get uh, nitrogen into a usable form. And it means that because this is something we use to make fertilizers in factories, if I have this right, any scientists in the audience might be able to back me up. Am I right in thinking that roughly 80% of us, we can say, was therefore made in a factory? <laughs> because we've had that much nitrogen in our body which yeah, has been yeah. fixed. Does that sound right? I, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. 80% 80, 80 of us have been because created got, in factories. Because we've got so much nitrogen in our body and our proteins. Yes. And so much of that comes from our food, which comes from oh, fertilizer. Right. We therefore can say, I think it's 80% of our body was and, made in a factory. And plants can take up nitrogen in a way that we can't. 
So they're actually able to extract the nitrogen from the atmosphere and use it, and that's where we get our source from, like when we eat as well. Can they, or is the bacteria they work with? Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, the nitrogen-fixing bacteria that are like in the in the roots of the plants, and so they provide the plant with food. And then okay, the so a plant has nitrogen-fixing bacteria in its roots, and it can use that for food. Yeah. But you don't want to use the nitrogen for food. You want to use it in the heart. Yeah, so we could actually make nitric oxide. So you take the nitrogen from the atmosphere and you put it with the oxygen that we breathe in. And that's how you get NO. Which is great, except that that would happen all the time, all the way through life. Yeah. And you're only really talking about something we need when our natural ability to... When we've lost what we should have and when we're in trouble, that's when we need it. We don't need it all the time. Yeah, but there's an argument that if you had it all the time, it would protect you from developing the cardiovascular disease in the ah, first place. So we could be, we so, could have hearts that are healthier for longer. Yeah, so for example, like, if you're found to have high blood pressure, which is hypertension, even if it's not at a chronic level... It's a type of cardiovascular disease, but it's also a risk factor for other cardiovascular diseases. So the very fact that your blood pressure is elevated puts you at a greater risk of developing other types of diseases. Right. So, so for I example, see. if you had nitric oxide all the time and it was keeping your blood pressure nice and low, which can also be dangerous <laughs> if you don't want it too low, because then nothing's going to be able to, like your blood won't be pumped around if, you, if the blood pressure goes too low. Right. Um, but it could protect against the development of certain diseases. So the only thing we need to know then is how we get the lightning in our lungs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how do we do that, Michael? Well, I haven't figured that out yet. But the thing is, when you think about it, we're... We're, we're electric anyway, like, and when you think about the way the heart works, it all depends on the movement of ions across different channels, and, yep. and these carry a charge. So everything in your body works based on a voltage. Like There's literally different voltages between inside and outside of the cell. So the idea that there's like an electricity going on inside your body, it happens all the time. Okay, I'm going to take this a bit forward. First, first of all, does this mean that you could cough and kill somebody? <laughs> <laughs> and secondly... I think we've got a problem here with lightning because, as you say, it makes nitric, nitric oxide. Am I saying that yep. right? Yep. It also makes ozone. Yes. And ozone is harmful to lung function. Yeah, because then you'd risk like displacing the oxygen that you'd be breathing in, which wouldn't be very good. And we're still glossing over setting your lungs on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I still think if, you, if what we're saying is that human bodies have the ability to uh, harness lightning, why are you not pitching lightning bolt throwing abilities so that we can all be like Thor. <laughs> I already am like Thor. For the people who are listening to this, I look exactly like Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> Don't laugh at that, 30, please. <laughs> 32%. Um, yeah, why are you not pitching like being able to throw lightning bolts? That's, that's been done. <laughs> We've got Thor. We've got Thor. Okay. Okay. I quite like it. I'm not sure it's Absolutely essential. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reserve judgment on this until I've heard the other expert pitch. Oh, so you're not sure it's on the shortlist? It's a maybe. I need to think about it. <laughs> okay, you're up, Kim. Can you beat lightning breath? Hopefully, hopefully. Uh, so mine is probably unsurprisingly about reproductive physiology. So one of the things that everyone knows about the ovary is it has a really finite lifespan. So around about the age of 50 uh, in most women, uh, menopause kind of happens on average. But in a, a subset of women, in about one in a hundred women under 40 actually have premature ovarian ins insufficiency or primary ovarian insufficiency, which on the face of it is almost like having premature menopause. Right. So this means that not only is, is fertility in these women actually affected, but kind of all all of the, the kind of bad stuff that happens to women as they go through menopause in terms of decreased kind of cognitive function, increased risk in terms of... Well, well, uh, hold on, that, that's a shock to me. You're, you've got decreased cognitive function in menopause. Uh, yeah, post-menopause, yes. Because of... It's, it's mainly because I mean, of, I probably why? don't have enough to, to <laughs> get... I, I can't have my cognitive function lowered anymore. <laughs> I think post-children, it's a nightmare. Uh, <laughs> Can you, t can you tell us it's, more about this, actually, then? Because yeah, I haven't so, fully understood the menopause here in this case. So, so what happens... Uh, so women have, uh, essentially, a, a pulsing with estrogen. And estrogen has many, many benefits in terms of, like, cardio protection. Uh, it, it kind of... Uh, it, 
uh, is good for bone health uh, and metabolic profiles uh, as well in terms of kind of uh, the way that you lay down your fat depots uh, as, a, as a woman. So when menopause happens, what happens is uh, you, you get hot flushes uh, that start to occur. That impairs sleep. Uh, which then in, uh, can result in uh, decreased cognition and cognitive function uh, in women. So, so it's it, it is mainly, the, the... The, I think recent researchers is kind of thinking it's more the sleep deprivation that's causing it. We didn't actually know what the cause of that, that kind of decrease in cognition was until recently. I do begin to wonder whether I'll ever have a good night's sleep in my entire <laughs> life because having had the kids, like no. I thought now I'm plain sailing at this point. I no. can now <laughs> no, look no. forward to eight hours every... No, it's not true is it i'm never gonna no it's not so in one in a hundred women this occurs early so this occurs like pre pre the age of 40 so not only does this have kind of detrimental effects on fertility uh which is obviously quite harrowing for for those women that actually want to have children uh but it's it's all of the the kind of added catalog of of disorders uh that they're then susceptible to or have increased susceptibility to right so Uh, your pitch so my pitch is yep to just you know increase the longevity of the ovary you know let's let's increase it prevent this premature ovarian failure particularly in the in this population group so you don't want rid of the menopause but you want I don't to want delay rid it. of the menopause I want to delay it Can particularly in this you? subset of, of patients because the only therapeutic kind of intervention currently is HRT and that doesn't quite cut it why don't why don't we take this forward why don't we all agree on a date <laughs> like, no, because doing this, there should be a day and beyond oh, we... that we all have a menopause men as well we're doing solidarity here we hit about 70 and then we all go through one this is a disorder though isn't it so yes, if it we is. increase the length of the ovary yeah. we're going to have we're still going to have people having premature menopause but it'll be a lot later is that the but point later so they'll still be protected so they've got though. a chance of having kids or whatever exactly. they want to do exactly and their bone health will be protected their However, cardiovascular health Everybody else has to deal with. You see, I wouldn't have it necessarily for the general population. Menstrual cycles for <laughs> decades and decades. And de- Don't get me wrong, I want to help the one in a hundred and all of that, but I mean, just shoot so, me. So for me, I would, I would make this a specific modification for those women with premature Well, you can't, no, it has to be no, 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 no. It has to be species wide. It's got to be everybody. Could this be a sub clause? But by, de- by, by prolonging it for, for every woman, you would actually, for this, this kind of one in a hundred uh, people, it would have such a, a kind of health benefit as well as kind of benefit in terms of fertility as well. Am I right that it's not fully understood why the menopause developed evolutionarily oh, as well? Oh, evolution biologist, I, I will argue say. against that. The menopause is awesome. Um, <laughs> no, from an evolutionary standpoint, it is the thing which basically keeps kept women alive until we could it basically is the evolution of grandmothers and grandmothers are brilliant they are the knowledge of the clan they make fantastic jam they are because it was to do with women transitioning from having children to looking after other ones that came is that is that the it's idea kind of like, it's that... good for the tribe yes, it's, it's yeah. good evidence through the libraries and we have it and a few whales and a few primates arguably and that's about it but actually just i want to move on past it because i've got a question for you because just this is research I saw coming out very recently that okay. I hadn't heard of. Right. And it kind of relates to what you're suggesting was, growing up, being a biologist, I was taught that women are born with all their eggs. And men yes. can go off and, you know, make as many sperm as they'd like, willy-nilly, if you'll pardon the phrase. <laughs> but or women the, can't make their, their oocytes. Although f- sperm quality does decrease as men age. Well, yeah, but... Yeah. Truth is, I've got millions of them and most of them are rubbish anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. But I mean, <laughs> this, was, this was gospel that women were born of all their eggs and it turns out we now think this is wrong. Can you tell us any more here? Yeah, so there are two or three groups uh, over the last, I would say, 10 to 15 years uh, that have uh, published research that, that suggests that there is a, a stem cell population within the ovary. Uh, and this stem cell population can be used to derive oocytes from. So they've, they've shown it predominantly in mouse models uh, that this stem cell population kind of exists and they're, they're able to use different differentiating factors to produce oocytes uh, from it. 
So, so it, it goes against kind of central dogma of what we understand about female uh, fertility uh, and that, that kind of ovarian kind of lifespan, that natural lifespan in the ovary that we have. So we think that you can make new eggs. Yes. That's what yes. appears to Yes. I, I would exercise some caution uh, in that. Uh, I think there are a few labs that, that have reproduced this research uh, but, but within the field, it, it remains very, very contentious right. and debated. Now, as, as this is a podcast <laughs> looking to level up the entire species, yes. I want to know, yes. uh, people without ovaries, yes. what is the effect of this on them? People yes, with, there, has to be, there has to be something for everybody in this pitch. Okay, so, so people without ovaries. Yeah. Non-ovarian humans, what do they non-ovarian get? Non-ovarian humans, well, they, they get a childless life, which, uh, you know... A childless <laughs> maybe, life. A childless life. So that may actually... Uh, I don't have any ovaries, and I've done fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well... We, we I surely mean, can have pitches that are just entirely for those with ovaries. Can't we? So... So from what perspective do you mean? Ah, okay. So the benefit of not having ovaries? I mean... You're on I, very I, I shaky actually, ground here. I know, I, 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 know, I, know I, I actually can't think of an evolutionary benefit of not having ovaries. To well, be honest. Simon hasn't got any, I know, I, but for females, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking well, from a female perspective I'm talking, rather than No, males. I'm not. I'm talking about everybody who doesn't have ovaries. Everybody who doesn't have ovaries. Everybody that doesn't yeah. have ovaries. What do we okay. give them with this pitch? What do they get? So for males... Yeah. Uh, oh, okay, okay. Maybe I should just have said that. Okay. <laughs> okay no, men, like, what do men get? <laughs> they don't have I always uh, want to know what's in it for the men. Yeah. They don't what's get, in it for the men? They don't get much, do they? <laughs> <laughs> so what's in it for the men? Uh, Rachel doesn't often represent the patriarchy, but today is <laughs> yeah. aware. But tonight, I, I'm just interested to know whether, I mean, like, um, so we're extending the length of the ovary. Are we going yeah. to extend the life of the... Um, yeah, how about the testes? Can we have better male quality better as well? Better testes. And how but, do we do oh, that? So, what, so, Let's so actually extending the, the quality, like yeah. the longevity of kind of sperm quality. And uh, how would we do that? Like why, does, why do sperm get worse, bearing in mind we do make them new every time? Why are Mick Jagger's totally fine and everyone else's? <laughs> God, that's a $64,000 question. Uh, so oxidative stress as we age, uh, so that has quite a negative impact on uh, sperm quality. Uh, the, uh, the epigenome changes as we age, again, that has a, a negative impact on, on sperm quality Do we know uh, why that is, well. actually? You're saying with the epigenome change. So the epigenome, firstly, can you explain that to everyone? Uh, I can, can it's, it's not my more? area of, of, of science at all, but in a nutshell, it's, it's these kind of marks that, uh, these genetic marks uh, that, uh, such as methylation, uh, for example. Uh, can you explain methylation to everybody in the audience? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> totally out of my comfort zone area-wise. But it's, it's essentially these, these uh, kind of marks that, that regulate gene expression. Uh, and uh, some genes will be expressed, some genes won't be expressed. Uh, so it's the switching that, on and switching uh, it's off. switching on and switching off of genes, and, and this changes with age. So, but do we know why that's negative? Like, as epigenetics seem to be one of those things that we can change through behavior, is there anything the guys can be doing to, like, turn those sperm on again? So there definitely are kind of, uh, of lifestyle uh, factors that will change that. So don't do cycling. Like, so don't do cycling, uh, eating well, not drinking so much, don't like drink beer. Too much beer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all have a kind of negative impact. Uh, right, so we're going to have, we're gonna have mm, longer, more good quality sperm. Yeah. We're going to have ovaries that last <laughs> a bit longer. longer and later menopause. Do you know what? The mental image you had given me there when you said longer sperm. <laughs> just, <laughs> just I'd love somebody to pitch that. If they could back it up, I, I, I want to hear why. The, the longer lasting ovaries would probably have an effect on cardiovascular health as well. Because there's a... So, broadly speaking, women suffer less from cardiovascular disease than men, and so yeah. there's a sex difference. No. And it's not fully understood why, but estrogen's believed to play a role. And so, if you had long-lasting ovaries and were still making estrogen, you'd probably be protected for longer. So, what you're, you're saying is if you'd longer-lasting ovaries, you'd have no need for lightning breath. 
<laughs> your pitch is, is looking very shaky at the moment, Michael. You're, you're now talking us out of your pitch altogether. Because what we really need is longer-lasting ovaries. Right, we need to get on to audience pitches. So, yeah. Michael, I'm really sorry, but you've talked me out of it. Uh. I'm putting longer life over... I mean, I, I don't really want to have periods until I'm 75. <laughs> but for the sake of people who... Uh, if who experience premature menopause? Let's let, let's make that late enough that they have a chance to have kids if they want them. If it yeah. still keeps your heart healthy, I don't mind not being the the yeah. pitch that gets. Okay, cool, oh, great. <laughs> so you've again just screwed over men, though. Because <laughs> yeah. fair enough, we're doomed anyway. I yeah. mean, <laughs> but what about the longer ovaries? Is that on the short? That's list? on the short list. Yeah. Can we give our panel a huge round of applause, please? Now, our dear audience here at the Barbican Centre in London, it is your chance. We want to hear what your pitches are, and Rachel with her mobile microphone will come to you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So please, if you've an idea, put your hand high in the air. We'll bring the microphone to us to you. Please tell us your name and what your idea is. Oh, and we've got loads of suggestions. Great. Can we start with that guy at the back there? Maybe? We can. Hi, my name's Finn. Um, I wanted to ask about whether it would be possible to to more closely align our senses of taste and smell to the things we actually need. So things that are good for us taste and smell good, and things that are bad for us taste and smell bad. Oh, so your pitch is to make McDonald's smell really bad. <laughs> On a Friday night, it does, I mean. <laughs> so, delicious broccoli. Oh, no, 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 sorry. Uh, uh, noses and tongues that really like the taste of broccoli. Oh, hang on. Oh, hold on, hold on. We've got, we've got a follow-up. Well, like, not in a so like vegetables like the things you actually need so if you had a list of your daily intake of everything and your body kind of ticked them off as they went right and now i need some phosphorus and now i need some whatever and that would be the thing that you kind of craved mick what was your name again just looking around sorry sim 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 okay actually i think we we already have that i occasionally have a banana sort of glow at me in a way that's like eat me eat me I wonder, actually, maybe, maybe we could take this a bit further, right? Because what you're suggesting is we need some kind of taste mechanism for five a day, okay? So for the five a day, until you get that point, you reach that sort of threshold, which it actually should be probably about seven, if we're honest. Is that right? Seven a day. Yeah, seven it's seven even a day. higher in some other countries. I it's think even... some of the Scandinavians say 17. Okay, what? <laughs> yeah, it's huge. It's huge. Okay, let's imagine we go for, like, our Scandi utopia. We have that... And, like, until that point, everything smells of, like, really good cheese and really good rich food. And then we've hit that th- threshold, sort of. We can go back to eating junk. Can we, like, have a, a release mechanism? Do you like that tweak, Sim, or is that worse? Y- yeah. <laughs> I'm glad it's I won you over. It's yeah. your idea, Simon. <laughs> Taste buds for health. Let's call it that. Is it on the short list, Rich? I like that. 
Yeah, I think I think I think we'll have it. Taste buds for health. Can we give some of you a huge round of applause, please? Right, who is next? There was one over there. I'm Vanessa. Um, so sometimes when t- people tell me about their stories or they've been to a wedding or I've missed an event, I feel really jealous. I get like super FOMO. So what I'd like to be able to do is like physically contact, like touch that person's shoulder. Sorry. <laughs> and somehow their electrical like activity in their brain sends that same moment to my brain so I can live it so I don't have FOMO anymore. So anti, like a FOMO fighter. Would that be like lightning brain? Yeah. <laughs> kind of sounds like quantum leap. I think we're talking about empathy here, aren't we? <laughs> no offence. <laughs> no, I get that as well. And also, I mean, not just people telling you, complete strangers putting pictures of their beach holidays on Instagram, and all you can think is like, why are you shoving this down my throat? I'm not there, I'm on the northern line. I, I would kind of like the opposite. Like... If somebody takes a photo of, let's face it, it'll be a holiday or their breakfast, right? Or Something their like coffee, that. yeah. I, I think instead we need a mechanism of spite to tell them to keep it to themselves. What if uh, the, you see the crime and you want to give a statement to the police and then you can, t- like, you can just touch them and say, oh, this is what they look like, and then you don't ever have to describe, oh, they had a wide nose and black hair. This is a very different pitch you're now making. <laughs> Yeah, this is something else entirely. This is, um, this is CCTV. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got empathy and CCTV from Vanessa <laughs> so far. Um, I kind of understand what it is that you want. It's like, it's some kind of thing that I feel like I've seen on Star Trek, where you touch someone and you, you feel their pain. Yeah, that's what Spock does, or, isn't it? Is that a Spock thing? Yeah. I think so. Okay, so you see, that's where you two get FOMO because you've been watching Star Trek. Can I do something? Well, no, I haven't though, so I don't really know. I don't know which one of them does that, but I just vaguely remember. Um, okay, so do we want Spock sense? Well, do we, Rachel? You're the one who decides. I think. I think I am going to put it on the short list. Yep. Okay, that vague, vague pitch I'm of FOMO and but- see. Fine. No, it's not. It's Spock sense. That's what it's going down as. Spock sense. Longer ovaries, taste buds for health, and Spock sense. Would you be willing to have the ears to go along with this, Vanessa, <laughs> if it happens? Cool. It's yes. in. Give Vanessa you try to pause. Thank you. Hi, my name is William. It's mine's actually quite a little bit like Vanessa's. But I would like to project my thoughts. Project your thoughts onto what, a wall? Uh, <laughs> uh, specific thoughts. Specific thoughts, like a yeah. building. So uh, if I was designing a building that I would like to, yeah. What, like, like put a hologram up in the space so yeah. that the builders could like build it to your hologrammatic thought of what it was going to look like? Correct, yeah. You see, I'm putting I've got, that down I'm... as mind architecture. No, what? <laughs> so you're, you're talking about like it's telepathy effectively, you're passing... You're able to pass thoughts from one person to another one. Uh, physically show them, maybe? Or, yeah, maybe te- telepathy as well. Okay, so your projection was so you could see it. So it's a good way of visualizing your thoughts in a way. Okay. I was actually thinking about this the other day because um, my son was trying to communicate something to me, and he's seven, and sometimes he doesn't really do it very well. And I thought what he could do with this, like, a little panel on his head where I can just, like... Like if you were playing The Sims, have you ever played The Sims? Where they have a thing above their head, which is just like, you can see that what they're trying to get to is that they want another biscuit. But they're too busy yelling, and so you can't actually articulate any of the sounds at all. The Sims, Quantum Leap, and Spock, all the contemporary references. (laughs) I'm very, very old, though. I'm going to make a suggestion here for you, William, because there's a really cool way of, um, basically, I I am telepathic, right? I am gonna, right? I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna transfer the idea of a number from my mind to yours without touching you or anything. Are you ready? That number is four. <laughs> right? That is effectively. But, you must be an absolute yeah. mute at a party. But, 
But you see my point, that is what language is. Like we have a method for, for projecting thoughts, surely? But do you mean language or do you mean like diagrammatic? Yeah, if know, he's projecting form? an entire building, that, that you can't say, architects don't go around going, well, it's got this big curvy wall here, which is 60 <laughs> feet long. You can't, you've got to draw it, right? See, okay, here might be my other my, my thing here is I reckon actually if you're not forced to sit down and draw out this building, your imagination is not quite as good as you think it is because our imaginations are kind of fuzzy and blurry. I, I have to confess, I'm yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. but he, no, he is an actor, hold on, hold on. We're going to get this to you. We, we want to record your quality ramblings. Go. No. Into I think the it's more that after you've had kind of the, the ideas and you've drawn out the, the design yourself and you want to translate it to someone else and you can't do that like in an articulate manner, then you need a 3D model of whatever thought it is because you have it in your head and it's perfectly clear and you've designed it. But to get that to someone else and be like, okay, you're not going to look at my stupid scribbles. So here's a nice 3D model of the building or whatever it was. So we need a way of like printing 3D models. There should be a way of doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got computers now, so I don't think we... I mean, I... Can we please give... Oh, oh hold on. We have, we have a lady who wants a microphone very badly. Please tell us your name and what your contribution is. My name's Michelle. What about... That idea, though, for those who can't communicate, for someone who has cerebral palsy or someone yes. who has motor neuron or someone who uh, has autism and they can't use traditional modes of communication. And if they could just. That think is a their fantastic idea. point. William, why didn't you say that? <laughs> this is a. <laughs> I mean, also, I can't really bin that now, can I? Because that's clearly... No, no, that's clearly, like, I remember brilliant. Hearing, um, <laughs> I remember hearing a wonderful, uh, a wonderful academic, and he's a, he's a bit of a, um, like a rights campaigner for people of different availabilities. And he's pointed very correctly that a lot of the technology that we use has come from people creating developments for people with disabilities, for instance. So... Uh, Doors that open as you approach them was originally an accessibility thing that has come up. So maybe, maybe she's just talked. I think Michelle. Yep. I think this is Michelle's idea, William. Sorry, this uh, is a. Well, we'll we'll have Michelle and William thought projector, and that's definitely on the short list. Okay. Yeah, that's very good. Before we get uh, into the short list, I'm going to make my own suggestion. As an evolutionary biologist, I have been scanning the natural world for what I see as proof of concepts out there. We like to call the segment Splice of Life because these are the genes I think we could nick from another species. So, ladies and gentlemen, I present you with Arapima Gygus. Rachel, can you please describe these for, this for the people at home? Uh, it looks like a scaly eel. It's a fish from the Amazon. It's pretty big. It weighs about 150 kilograms. But That's because it lives in the Amazon, it is basically piranha-proof. That skin, those scales are incredibly strong, but more importantly, they are flexible. So I think we should all have this kind of armor. It would make things like car crashes much less likely to harm us. It'd be great for rugby. It's got the advantage of flexibility that a lot of our current bulletproof vests and things don't have already. It'd be good for cycling, wouldn't it? It'd be fantastic for cycling, and it yep. all uses collagen. So next time you get collagen filler in your lips or something like that, go for scales, man. Way better. <laughs> what do you think, Rachel? Uh, I think it's the end of the fashion industry. I have, I have no problem with that. So it's on. So it's on. Yeah, I like it. Yay. Yay. I think this is the first one of yours I've put on for the whole series. So that's good. So super so scales. collagen scales. No need to choose what to dress up in in the morning. Dress up in? Where? <laughs> in the morning. That says a lot it's about It's almost life. like I walk around wearing stupid dungarees all the time. Um, right. Yeah, that's on. So you've got a, quite a long shortlist here. Uh, you've got Kim's idea for longer ovaries. Can we call it something else? Because, again, they're just sounding like they're really, <laughs> it's really stretched. We've had the idea of Spock sense to avoid FOMO and to dob in criminals. We've had William slashes Michelle idea for idea projection. 
and we've had a contribution from an Amazonian fish. Well, I've got to choose something for all of humankind here, right? So uh, the problem with Spock sense is you've got to be right next to somebody to use it. And that's, that's too limited, really. I think most of the problems we have are based on people who are nowhere near each other, misunderstanding one another. So unless we can do it by Skype, it's no good. Um, taste buds for health is pretty good. Longer ovaries, I'm not going to have that one because I think it's only helping some of the people. Uh, I think it's got to be the thought projector. After all of that, after it nearly didn't get in the thing at all. I mean, it's thanks to Michelle, really. Can we can we give Michelle and William and and you? You are a massive help there as well. What what is your name? Uh, Jilly. Michelle, Jilly. What what a team. We just had a, a high five for that one. Can we record that? I said, if anything, it shows why he needed it, because that was his exact thought, but he couldn't protect it. <laughs> That's 100%. 100% true. Michelle, how do you feel about this being given to all humans forever? Just like any techno- uh, technology, it, it has some potential downfalls and questions, but... People are just going to be projecting knobs and balls all over everything, aren't they? I don't want to know what some of the people... I mean, they are. Yeah, I don't, I don't really want to know what some people think, but... Oh, yeah, what you've really done is given the world the 3D deck pick. That is really it. <laughs> if only I'd written it down on the shortlist as that. We'll so, make that the episode title. Thank you very much. So, ladies and gents, there remains only one final thing to do. Um, before we go, we've got to give a huge round of applause and thank you to our audience here at the Barbican. We've also had Michael Preedy. We've had Kim Jonas. We've been joined by Rachel Wheelie, as always. Uh, we also have to have additional thank yous for the assistance of Ian Bucket. Also, this has been a Physiological Society and Biochemistry Society special. Can you give everyone a huge round of applause? That was Level Up Human, hosted by Simon Watt, produced by Rachel Wheelie, and supported by the Physiological Society. For more information, go to leveluphuman.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.